0: Hello everyone, welcome to this week's Politics in the Pulpit podcast. We're really glad to have you with us. We've got another excellent guest uh, with us this week as we explore the lectionary readings and how power and politics influence how we might preach from them this week. Really pleased to be welcoming this week uh, Fiona Bennett, the minister at Augustine United Church in Edinburgh. Fiona, welcome. Thank you, it's really lovely to be with you we're really pleased to have you here. Um, So politics in the pulpit, is that sort of a home from home for you or is it something that uh, doesn't feature much in what you do in Edinburgh?
1: It's really interesting because I I think that, um, it depends what you mean by the word politics, Um, I think think politics means everything because it's to do with our relationships with people. So um, when I write a sermon or prepare any worship, I'm always thinking about, so if I say that, what's the implications for the personal and what are the implications for the political? By which I mean, how does it affect community, society, our world globally, which is what how I would understand um, what politics is about. So I, I can't separate them. It, to me, talking about politics is about, it's about how our faith, what our faith has to say, how it interacts, how we live in the world at large, um, so I think it's it's just um, it's an intrinsic thread within everything.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, and from your your ministry at Augustine, where um, are there any particular things that have been big on your radar um, in recent times? Any particular issues that have been uh, significant for you and for the community there? So
1: um, Augustine is a community that really works hard and aspires to be an inclusive community. It's not an easy thing to do um, and uh, we have a, a, we have a, a significant part of our membership are LGBTQI, a significant part of our membership have complex mental health issues, we all have mental health and have to look after mental health but a significant number of complex issues. Um, we have a significant number of people who have challenges who are varied in their ability and in their neurodiversity um, and we're also very passionate concerned about planet and eco- justice in general, Justice for the planet, um, racial justice—those are all kind of issues that affect us. So, um, I mean, obviously, at the moment with COP coming, everybody's thinking really hard about um, what does it, what do we really want to see happen? How do we need to change? How do we need to see our our um, policy? You know, within government and also within within business, and um, how do we need to see things changing to really act a difference? So it's not just talking. It feels like we've been talking about, um, you know, eco justice for a long time. What do we really need to do to to see that change, and and what can we do about it? How can we act? So that's been some of the big eco stuff that has been about. I think with. Um, with all the pandemic things that have been going on, we've been really conscious of how that's been affecting all of our mental health and just acutely aware of some of the issues that are going on for people with slightly more complex stuff that's that's there um and how how people are perceived and supported within society which is a big part of you know mental health politics it's about how does our society as a whole how do we treat and support everybody um you know how do we put the, to use the kind of Hebrew Bible, you know, the the, the widow and the orphan at the centre and build outwards within our political systems. Um, so whoever's vulnerable, whoever's vulnerable. Um, and there's been quite a lot recently about um, within our, um, we've got quite a lot of trans people within the community. So thinking about some of the gender identity stuff that's been going on, um, that we've been quite aware of that. And there's been quite a backlash at the moment. A lot of our trans people are experiencing more hate than they have been um, in you know, maybe if a couple of years ago where things were beginning to change. So it's just conscious about all of that. Um, that's just a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Could go on for a
0: long time. <laughs> just the list. Um, picking up on uh, COP, very conscious. I mean, I know it's the other, you know, the other big city not far away. Um, but is that something that the whole church is really engaged with? Is it something that I mean, I'm down in, in Essex. It's. It, it's not um, in our faces in quite the same way. If we switch off the news, we could pretend it's not happening. Um, but it, it's, does it feel very live and active around the whole church community?
1: I, I think it. I think it does. Um, we have so Christian Aid, Christian Aid Scotland, have their offices within our building, within Augusty Church ah, okay. in the middle of the town. So they're there, um, and the. You know the walk that's happening, the the youth yep. walk that's happening from London to they're they're going to come and drop by us on the Saturday, one of the Saturday right. afternoons. We will be boat making as part of our <laughs> as part of our harvest festival. And I think I think so because it is so close physically, so close. I think there is an awareness about it, um, and people are just. It's a really interesting balance actually, because certainly our um, there's a concern that on the one hand, the the environmental crisis is very real. But to scaremonger is not helpful. And it's Mm -hmm. particularly, so you've got to grasp the seriousness and hold that and do something about it. But to scaremonger, particularly at this point in time, perpetuates anxiety. And especially if you've got people who are prone to paranoia, you can get all sorts of difficulty within that. So it's a really interesting balance. So um, the the local schools, you know, the kids in schools, everybody's doing stuff about COP and the whole environmental stuff is, is upped quite a lot, um, which is really good. Um, one of the things that we have opted to do, a really simple thing in Augustine, this at the moment, is that we're doing a tree of life. So we've, we've physically got a tree that we often use at Christmas time for prayers sitting in the sanctuary. And every sto- every week we're adding leaves and each leaf is a story that somebody emails in, which is a story of hope they've heard about new technologies or ideas or approaches that are offering hope or life giving for the planet. And that's been really good. Um, that's not to deny the seriousness, the gravity of the change that we all need to embrace. Um, and, and that is part of our faith. Um, but it's also about not being, um, you know, sucked down in despair, because yeah. that also wouldn't help. Um, so it's kind of everywhere in some senses. Yeah, um, you know, uh, yeah and it's about using, using the energy from that well, I think, is the challenge.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing about that as well. Um, Each week uh, the wonderful team at JPIT also give me a bit of a a list of some of the other issues they think are around at the moment that that may set a bit of the political context for what we're talking about and so the list this week. um, The defence talks between uh, Australia and the UK and the US and what that says about efforts for peace building. Um, And the implications for that. Um, And then obviously, we've got uh, politicians from the UK in the US for climate talks um, this week leading up to uh, COP26 and the need for new sources of international climate finance. We have uh, the ongoing uh, inequalities in vaccine distribution and infrastructure needed for their delivery. And then, uh, particularly over the last few days, uh, we've seen a lot in the news about gas prices and the rising cost of living alongside rising food costs and the ending of the universal credit uplift and the impact that all of that has on those in poverty. And then uh, further afield, we've seen news over the weekend about girls being prohibited from secondary education in Afghanistan and the ongoing challenges that situation in that country brings to us. I'm sure there are many many others too, but those are some of the other headlines for our politics this week and then liturgically for those of us following that we remain in the season of creation um, and a couple more weeks to go with that which feels very fitting. So having established a bit of context, we turn now to our readings for this week. We have um, we're still in Mark, we're still in James. But we've moved on from Proverbs into the book of Esther. So a slight change of gear with our Old Testament reading. But I wonder uh, if you've uh, seen all, all three of those, um, where's where's your inclination to begin? Are you already seeing threads joining the three or is there one text where you've thought that's where I'm going? Um, uh, is there anything that you see sort of emerging already at this stage? I have to see. Um so it's quite interesting because just
1: in the last couple of months, we've moved on to the narrative lectionary. so not using RCL. So it's quite interesting to go back into them. And that's simply because it's trying to work with a hybrid format. And um, so we're just experimenting with it. And so I've spent time looking at the three readings, and um, I found all of them quite difficult in, in interesting ways. Um, I think, the, the why have I found them difficult? Esther, Esther is a book that you need the whole story. Yes. I, think, I think the extract is not necessarily helpful. I would say the same about the Mark passage, actually, um, that the Mark passage, I could see, particularly when I think in our context of um, um, I'm really conscious when I'm preaching that sometimes you're preaching to people who can be very self-destructive and very self-loathing. So I'm really, really cautious how I use passages um, and and I have to give a lot of context. So the Mark passage Newsletter contest, the Esther passage is a really interesting story. Now, um, this week, this Thursday night, um, we have an event where we're interviewing Deborah Kayembe, who is the first black rector of Edinburgh University. She started in the Democratic Republic of Congo as a lawyer, escaped as a refugee, came to Britain, and is now practicing as a lawyer. So it's gonna be really interesting to hear her story. There's something about um, having fled power um, and coping with oppressive power in her story that I am I, wrestling with in the book of Esther, which is really interesting. Axerxes, right. um, who's the king within this, um, has already um, got rid of one wife Vashti because she wouldn't appear before him um, and, his, and his pals to show off how beautiful she was. Who knows what exactly the context of all that is, but he's got rid of her being manipulated by his pals. And then he chooses Esther um, and there's a whole sort of stuff goes on with Haman and and oppressing um, Mordecai who won't bow before him, and then finally when justice comes and Esther re-manipulates Xerxes actually. Um, then you've got this kind of victory for the for the Jewish people and I, I am so conscious that as soon as I talk about Jewish people as a Christian that um, most of the anti-Semitism in the world comes because of us mm. so it, within this story and this context and also you know as the point of this book was being written at the point of this book probably was being written you've already got um, some Jews who were returning with Nehemiah and Ezra to rebuild the temple so this isn't all people or any people, or this is you know, and everybody's full of lots of different kinds of folk. So, um, but the response after after Mordecai is elevated is that all of a sudden a whole lot of other folk are slaughtered. Mm. So, so there's there's a lot of really uncomfortable things in this passage that um, that in this story that make me feel like I, I don't see that that's not the that's not the the God of the faith that I aspire to that I see in Jesus. That I want to emulate in any sense. So, but going into the story, you have got this woman, Esther, who has been um, chosen because of her beauty, had to kind of hide her identity, play games to protect her people. um, And she manipulates Xerxes, who's been manipulated in different ways before, um, but that is the only power that she has. Interesting question, do you know that all that stuff about women portrayed as deceivers for good or for bad because they don't, they're not given power, sort of like outright power within the patriarchal structures, so they behave with whatever power that they have, but then they can be demonised for that. So you've got the, the Eve stuff with that, women all manipulate, that's all just rubbish, you know, so, so there's all of that in that, that I just, clangs for me really uncomfortably. The particular verse, not in the passage, but in the book of Esther, that really sits with me, aspires me, is when Esther has this discussion about with Mordecai, whether she should go and plead for the king. And it's in the end of chapter four. And it says, I'll go to the king, though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. There's this incredible nobility within Esther that says, well, this is the right thing to do. I have to do this, whatever it is, despite the cost. And as I think about our world today, I just think the sharing of vaccines. Does my kid get vaccinated or does the kid in you know, Uganda get vaccinated? Um, thinking about so much stuff about the environment, about justice, how do we rebalance wealth, the care of the planet, the use of carbon? At what point am I willing to say actually the right thing is that I have to be willing to take a sacrifice myself and our country does in order for others to be free? Um, so sorry that's a whole spiel about Esther. Yeah. um but there's nothing no to wrestle with in that whole yeah. story and that whole perception
0: i always find exactly that with something like esther is you, It's very hard to take a chunk of esther out without actually you're gonna have to tell the whole story anyway yeah um uh, because you can't it can't be a given that people listening know um or remember and and it doesn't it's very hard to enter into it without Um, explaining what's gone on uh, before. Um, Yeah,
1: so the the one other thing that really strikes me in Esther, and I think this reflects in Mark as well actually, is there's a whole lot of stuff about power and how do you use power well? You know, Xerxes, he was the Persian king, he had an enormous empire. But he was manipulated very easily, and he he used and he disseminated his power badly. You see in Haman, again, somebody who gets power and wants to be glorified, who is ego with, and all of that. you see these powerless women who also do have power. So there is a question within all of it. And even at the end, when Mordecai then decides to slaughter all the people who you know stood against them, when we when we have power, how do we use it well? I, that was a big question that we um, looked at when same gender marriage came about with a lot of LGBT folk within our community. So a lot of LGBT folk had been on the fringes of society. Their relationships hadn't quite been recognised. So when you then become the centre of power, how does that, in the sense that you that you have the same status as other people, and we could argue that they're still not exactly the same status, but, you know, in, in, technically in law anyway, how do you then wield power well? When you've been on the edges, do you then become the new oppressor or do you change the system? But that's a big challenge. I don't think women in ministry have changed the system nearly enough. I, there's you know, the Scottish Parliament was set up with a different setup to Westminster physically and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't see it's radically changed politics. So when you hold power, how do you wield it well? Huge challenge. Um, and Jesus was really inspired by all of
0: that. Sorry, David, there you go, there's another ramble. I love it, I love it. I was just going to say, before we perhaps drift into the the James reading, um, or maybe we'll go to Mark first, because there seems to be more links in what we've been talking about there. Um, A a friend of mine wrote uh, a thesis on basically Esther as pantomime, uh, which I found very compelling, um, because there is something wonderfully, or, or Shakespearean, it's very dramatic, everything is... Yeah, uh, you know, so the um, the the pole on which Haman is impaled doesn't have to be twenty five meters, yeah. uh, but the, everything is is grand and is almost built for an audience. In Esther, it is a very theatrical story, and these other things like we're told in in chapter seven, where, right at the beginning that Xerxes is, is drinking wine. And you could almost imagine almost a Brian Blessed-esque sort of figure drinking wine there. And then we're told that he puts the wine down in a couple of verses. This is obviously quite important to the sense of what's going on. Um, but at the same time, in the midst of all of that, um, Esther is it's measured and seizes her moment very carefully. And as you say, in terms of sort of manipulating the king back she she answers the two questions that actually she's heard before already she knows what the two questions are going to be and she takes a risk and manages to say a lot in very few words because she's planned and thought through what she's going to say to make best effect of that of that moment but uh, there is something farcical I guess about huge elements of of what absolutely,
1: and that—that's why it works so well for Purim, isn't it? When the story yeah. is told, and and it's and it is absolutely written. I think a pantomime is a really good um, kind of comparison. Actually, it's really interesting. In the book, there are very few adjectives to describe people, mm. but the, but the, the way the characters interact gives you you know who the, it's goodies and baddies. Yes, in, in lots is, of ways, isn't it? You yeah. know, um. So yeah, yeah and and it, and that's really important to hear, i think to 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 feel the feeling of story and the power of story, which also I think will come to in mark in some ways as well, to hear it as literature so I'm you know because it, too often for me, we're trying to um justify the the historical detail of stuff, mm-hmm. and while that's important, it's the power of story is why this is here mm-hmm. um and that feels really important as well so. I remember the pantomime. That's
0: a great uh, <laughs> comparison. Well, let's um, let's go to Mark then, because we, we've mentioned Mark a, a number of times, so, which is good, drawing connections so and we'll come back to James afterwards. Um, so we're in Mark nine, where we've been for a little while now in the lectionary, and we've got verses thirty-eight to fifty. What uh, what strikes you here? Where's the the good news and the bad news in Mark nine? So
1: I think if you just read this passage, I think it could be hugely, it, it left on its own, it feels an amazingly destructive passage. And if people self-loathing, off you go and cut off your hand if it's causing you problems. I mean, it's just it's just really, really unhelpful if you read it literally in that kind of sense. So the, the first thing I want to say is that this passage, for me, comes in a context of a wider set of passages, and that's really important. I mean, it's actually a wider scene. I think that's part of it as yeah. well. And... Um, it's a very odd wee passage, you know, sort of 38 to 41 is this stuff from John, and then 42 jumps back to this bit about the little ones. So, what's the little ones got to do with anything? If you go just a little bit back, um, you can see that Jesus is in Capernaum and he's picked up this child. He has this child in his arms, and then says, Whoever receives one child um, in my name receives me. So I think that this passage actually as a lectionary reading would be better prefaced from 33 because for me I'm, so I'm picturing Jesus standing with a child in his arms and and there's a bigger context to the story but then John comes in has a conversation which has to do with a slightly previous bit of the story and then Jesus goes back to the child so that's that's how I physically ima- you know imagine the story I think that's quite kind of helpful to to see since the um tra- tra- since transfiguration, the disciples have been you know they came down from the mountain. Th- there was this um, this uh, exorcism that they couldn't do. They're feeling a bit disempowered. They're not quite sure what's going on. They've had discussions about who's the greatest. Um, so there's 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 a there's a real strand of struggle within the disciples of. Um, well, there's obviously kind of power tensions going on. Maybe a bits of feeling of kind of. Um, wanting power, feeling inadequate. I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff going on, bubbling on with the disciples. So that you then have this bit about, there's something about egos. Jesus and his disciples, and they're all having this stuff, the scenes transfiguration. um, And he says, it's being like a little child, um, receiving people like little children, um, that accept and trust and openness that is very important. And then John comes in again about casting out demons, and Jesus is saying, really um and, and the casting out demons bit is really interesting. If, if they'd use your name and abuse your name, and Jesus is saying, it's not about my name, it's about getting the job done. That's what's really important about getting the job done. And again, that is about ego. There's something about protecting self interest within all of that. And then he stakes he has this little one on his arm, in my imagining anyway. And he says, you know, whoever causes harm to one of these, and then he goes on with this great, um, again, this is drama. It's not pantomime. This is kind of tragedy. This is really strong language where he's saying to get in the way of a little one, whether it's a child as a child in his arm, or anybody who simply honestly and openly and innocently receives Jesus, who gets in the way of the good work being done, of the good news being manifest, of the environment being protected, of the LGBT people being included, whoever gets in the way of that is getting in the way of my work. And that is really bad. <laughs> so so for me, this is, this is all hyperbole. And it's really important that people see that rather than read it literally and think about who should be cutting off whose foot. Yes. Which quite literally, you know, that is one of the ways that we treat scripture. Um, and that's very, very destructive and misses the point of actually it's much easier to think about cutting off a foot than dealing with the stuff about getting over your ego, to be honest with you.
0: yeah.
1: Um, so that's what I see in this passage, but with a lot of struggles within it, um, not an easy one to hear or to engage with
0: Mm. yeah it's it's at first reading it is a passage that you think well what do you do with that you know as you say there's so many Mm -hmm. reasons why you know this is going to be one where i was thinking to preach this it's going to involve me really thinking through every word that i'm going to be using even because it has the capacity to be so damaging if people don't engage with it well um one of the things i was struck here is um how they're trying to hold together um at this moment sort of the community solidarity there's something about them as a community they're dealing with the hardships that come from you know the decisions they've taken and following jesus and they're trying to balance that keeping a strong solid community but at the same time not excluding people who aren't in it yet and it struck me that that's a challenge that many of our churches will face you know we want to build up our community we want to embrace relationships with one another we want strong Uh, church uh, sort of communities in that way but at the same time trying to be open and inclusive and embrace Mm. those who aren't there yet and it struck me that they're going through something of that uh, here and that's a bit of a challenge and and they've got this conflict that's ongoing within them and then there's a challenge here to affirm all that is good from outside Mm. as well as removing what is bad inside and I think this challenges the assumption you sometimes come across that What's inside is automatically good, and what's outside is automatically bad. And some of the great movements of the spirit, to me, seem to come from far beyond the walls of the church, and we sort of follow on afterwards and say that's very important. Um, and I think there's something of of that here as well, but it's not an easy passage.
1: That's I, that's really interesting, David. Actually, because I think that I'm, I'm actually my mind's now going to Paul and some of the letters with the like of them. Um, is it Corinthians where you know, um, or actually is it, is it Ephesians where it's, it's about who's in and who's out, and how do you and how do you um, how do you accept everybody within within your um, within the community and value all as equal, um, and and that's I think yeah, how are you healthy within? How do you manage the kind of conflicts and tensions between people within a congregation? But how do you also, as you say, see the spirit working beyond recognize the work of God beyond who you are, which which then should change you as a community? Um, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I think that leads into another oh, I'll go and take
0: them over. Yeah. <laughs> um, shall we drift into James then? Um, we've been in James for a little while. This is uh, the very end of James now um and i thought perhaps when i was thinking of links with the the other passages that there may be something with sort of um causing people to stumble there, there's something that seems to me here very important about the role that the whole community play in helping everybody i thought that was a thing that really struck me with with james but what um what is some of your initial reflections on the james 5 passage
1: I'm, I'm not a big fan.
0: Okay, okay. <laughs> uh,
1: why am I not a big fan? Uh, I'm not a big fan because, um, again, it's one of these things where it just feels like there's very clear instructions about do this or don't do that. Mm-hmm. And um, and some of the bits about, you know, if there's if there's suffering, let them pray as if it's going to be a kind of magic healing mm-hmm. Um Uh, you know, and the prayer of faith will save the sick one and the Lord will raise them up and if they've committed sins, they'll be forgiven. I don't know. That, I think, again, James is one of these passages that, like you're talking about, is the context of community. It's really important that we see it within the context of the community at its time. You know, James calls people to action rather than simply thinking about things, which is a really good thing. Um, but all, but it, it 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 needs a wider context as to, why he was writing to these particular people, because not every specific instruction, there could be wisdom in why it's there. But I, I'm really cautious about things that give direct instructions because people often interpret them quite destructively. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's my that's my response. So I felt very weary in response to this passage. It says that you
0: didn't feel quite the same way though. Well, no, I, I, I totally resonate with them. Um, the thing with the the healing and sort of the sort of the oversimplified way of taking this and 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 then I've just been in so many occasions where someone says, "Oh, but it says here," and it, but then this isn't what's happened, and you think, "Oh, okay." It just feels to me like a, a passage that needs going to need pastoral unpicking of how people take it away and use it Um inevitably. But uh, I think for me, I guess I was just struck with how one of the things here was about everybody playing their part in um, helping the community grow and develop. So whether it's uh, praying with people or singing with people or um, whatever it was, there was something, or calling the elders. And I just struck you, obviously, in in Mark, you've got a community that's sort of traveling with Jesus as well. And they've got these tensions in their community and they're arguing and conflicts are arising. And and here, just this whole faith is not going to be sustained well without the community around you doing their bit as well. There was just something about it being a communal endeavour, um, but that doesn't necessarily deal with some of the specifics that come up in the passage. Um. That
1: That's a really healthy way of thinking about it. And you're just making me reflect that we, um, so our, our congregation created a document about uh, just about two years ago called Ways of Relating, where we identified, we kind of, we went through a process, where we identified how we would like to behave towards one another, um, in the aspiration of being a, a community which includes difference and listens to difference and allows space for disagreement but that doesn't that doesn't mean you create barriers you know, we try to listen deeply to each other so and one of the things that we've that's often said, and the reason I'm, I'm i'm i send out monthly mailings and actually at, at the moment and um there's a new uh, an, another copy of those ways of relations going out this month because folk are just really conscious that um Whatever you aspire to, this would be true for anything, um, it, it doesn't happen just because you aspire to it. And building good relationships and good community is a lifetime's effort. It just doesn't happen overnight or even in a couple of months. You know, it's it's and it's something so this this document is something that we can go back to and just as a refresher all the time to remind us of what's going on. In some ways, there is a similarity with that in the like of James and a lot of the other epistles, how to be a community. Um, that follows Jesus, that is constantly emerging and changing. Uh, these communities were all emerging and changing, weren't they? Because there weren't such clear patterns as we need to be today. And how we work together well is not easy. It's never easy. Um, but actually, I do believe that the witness of how we work together well, if we can work out how to work together well, it does provide us with skills and a model that is very evangelistic because it offers gospel. Um for for me the 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 good news of inclusion is about how we hold diversity together so that we all grow um so that we're all challenged we're all transformed and um but none of that is easy it's all about willing to accept that i will be changed when i, I listen do i listen to you to be changed or do i listen to you to argue my point
0: yeah.
1: Joe, you know, um and and that is all about and all these things are. So but I'm sure if you were to take one of our aspirations out of context, it yeah. could be just as unhelpful as reading little bits of James out of context yeah. or anything else. It's about the big package of how we as a community aspire to be followers of Jesus today, have healthy relationships with ourselves, which then reflect on healthy relationships with the planet, with other species. It's all that stuff about integrity that's really important. Um so a good challenge from
0: you as well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. The other thing that struck me reading this, and it's come up a few times in all the texts we've looked at, is I think if I, I'm i not, I happen to not be preaching on this this Sunday, but um, I wonder if there's something actually about taking the opportunity to talk to folks about how we deal with scripture as well as part of this. You know, here's where this could all go very horribly wrong if we don't bring uh, a healthy engagement and understanding of context and nuance and literature to to what we're reading, um, and and the, these all three of these readings seem to offer that very clearly. I think um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, are you someone who um, finds that you, you've got pieces of art or music or other things that come to mind as you prepare, or does that come later in the week? Are there any other things that have already struck you? Thought I might try and find a way of shoehorning that in.
1: Well, I mean, as it happens, this Sunday, we have our um, uh, David Coleman, who's the Ecotide Congregation, Scotland ah, ec- right. Scotland's preaching. So, uh, so Oh, brilliant. A um, something that we do at Augustine is that every month we, we create a slightly different liturgy for every month following season. So Season of Creation Tide, we're going to go into Season of Wholeness actually next month is where, is where we're heading. And for each month, there's a piece of art that is a theme that runs through the powerpoints and stuff so the the piece of art for this month is um it's by jan richardson she's an american liturgical artist and it's called um for what binds us okay so there's a theme within all of that about um interdependence and interconnectedness um and um which ties in very well to the concept of community um i yeah interdependence can all sound very rosy and lovely it's hard work um, yes. <laughs> and, it, and it is within creation as well but it's hard work that brings an enormous um i don't like using the words benefit or reward because they're not always helpful in our kind of culture but it brings it brings abundant life it really does um it transforms us um through through that process um of willing to lose and to gain and to be changed uh, which i feel are very gospel kind of um uh, death, resurrection, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. We're very interconnected as well. But yeah, for that, which binds us. So that's the Jan Retritions one. And it's lovely. It's got, um, if I I could have had a copy of it here, but it's got things twisting together. Um, and it's a really lovely piece. We also do, we have a meditation each week where different people do different bits of music and sometimes art. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so I'll pass that out to whoever's leading and they will come up with something for a theme for the week, um, which is amazing as well. um just to see what other people
0: kind of come up with. Yeah, love the sound of that, that's wonderful. Um, I just uh, give a little shout out here at this point as, as sometimes do, to a particular resource that I've found helpful as well. And so I want to just highlight the Esther commentary in the Tyndale series, which I haven't looked at these for a while, but this is written by my good friend, Deborah Reed. And uh, she's wonderful, and uh, is Old Testament tutor at Spurgeon's College in South London, and uh, it's got some excellent things to say on the Book of Esther. Um, but Fiona, thank you so much for joining me this morning and for talking to these passages. It's been really good. I've, re- I've made loads of notes all the way through myself. I found this really helpful, so thank you so much. Uh, Likewise, I found it very helpful as well. So thank you to <laughs> <story. laughs> And uh, if you're joining us, either listening or or watching and you want to join in the conversation, you can uh, engage us on Twitter and you can join the conversation by using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. We'd love to hear uh, some of your stories, how you've used these texts and whether there's anything in particular we've come across this morning that's helped you uh, as well. But as we go uh, into the rest of our day, we end with a blessing. So may the blessing of the God of peace and justice be with us. May the blessing of the son who weeps the tears of the world's suffering be with us. May the blessing of the spirit who inspires us to reconciliation and hope be with us from now and into eternity. Amen.
1: Amen.